And so in those moments when you're in the most dire of needs, like it's time to figure stuff out and get in there yourself and do it. And so I also think it's important as a leader to show your team, like, you know, when times are rough, you know, I'll go in the trenches and I'll be right there by your side, whatever it is, because that's what has to be done. Welcome to Access Points, the podcast where we discuss the tools, habits, and ideas that can help you achieve and maintain the leadership mindset so you can reach peak performance. Are you ready for your all-access pass to some of the top minds on the topic of leadership? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Access Points Podcast. We're excited today to have another guest on the show. We've done this, I guess this is our third one. So we've had Nate and Randall. Now I've got a really good friend of mine here that share a lot of the same ideals and the way I think is a friend named Michael Yavali. Michael, glad to have you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me out, Tim. You bet, man. So uh, the fun thing is, is that everyone that we've talked to so far has a different business in a different industry. And so many times we talk about healthcare and we talk about healthcare IT. I know a lot of you guys out there that listen to it aren't healthcare IT and get kind of bored with that. So I thought we'd have some people on. This is continuing part of our guest series. So Michael, tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, and then we'll kind of go from there. Absolutely. Uh, I graduated law school uh, about 2010 and, you know, there weren't a whole lot of jobs around struggling to, to get something started. I decided to get going on my own. I'd been working in claims beforehand. So I actually came out and started a personal injury law firm from the scratch uh, back in 2010 and, you know, just kept parlaying it one thing after another. Every bit of money that we made went right back in the business. And we've grown to a point now where, you know, we're competitive throughout the state of Texas uh, with what we do in the personal injury field. Very cool. So you graduated law school. So there's a lot cupped into that, right? Yeah. So you graduated law school. Had you ever been in personal injury law before? You know, I dabbled a little bit. I worked as a legal assistant for a firm. Okay. I um, didn't get to do a whole lot of hands-on work, but I was drafting and, and you know, doing forms and stuff like that. Right. Most of the work I'd done had been in claims for multiple different insurance companies while I was going to law school. So it's basically the, the other side of the aisle, just switched and uh, worked for the other side. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting. So let's talk a little bit about that. And, and what did you learn from doing claims and I guess, so you did claims and then you went to law school or you did claims while going to law school? While going to law school. Okay. So you were able to see going to law school, some of the way things were practiced and some of the theories, I guess, around that while you were still working for a company. So probably while you're doing claims work, things were popping up in your head, ideas. Hmm, that's kind of interesting how they do that. And, oh, without a doubt. Wow, that's kind of strange. So without, you don't have to go too much detail about the, exactly how and why, but tell us what your thought was while you're doing claims and and why you kind of chose that direction. Well, first and foremost, and the biggest thing that struck me you know, and why I decided to go on my own is, is how the deck was stacked against the small person. From the very beginning, you had you know this huge company just trying to find ways to take you know pennies and dollars off of every single claim and, and it had systems and processes to do so. Uh, and, and beyond that, the inefficiencies of the insurance company drove me mad. I'd sit there and say, hey, you know, if we did this better, we could save some time. If we did this better, hey, maybe we could save some money. And right. nobody would ever listen to me. I mean, I'd be like, <laughs> fill up the suggestion box day after day and nobody right. would take anything I said seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, so many entrepreneurs that I talk to, you know, what they wound up doing or what direction they took or what product they chose or what product they created or whatever it might be came from this frustration. And where they saw a need, they saw a problem, they saw something that they were involved in or something in the marketplace that was flawed and said, I've got to make the world a better place in this little bitty subsection of exactly. the world in which I'm going to be a part of. And so by going to law school, you jumped into that. So tell us a little bit about when you started the practice. Was it just you? It was just me. I, I hired my first employee about a year after starting. 
Um, she's still with us today. Thankfully. Oh, no way. Yeah, so, so excited uh, that I get, I'm able to say that. Oh, that's super cool. So you jumped into that, started by yourself. So you probably had to do literally everything from soup to nuts, like from finding clients all the way through doing the law, going to court, dealing with client, all those different things, you had to do all of it. And so it, you know, looking back on those days, there was a lot going on and there was a lot of different pieces and moving parts that you had to deal with. Right. Absolutely. So we'll fast forward in a little bit to kind of where you are today, but back in those days when you were doing it all, what were the things that hindered you the most? What were the things that frustrated you the most when you started your business? I think starting out the, the, the biggest struggle was just trying to be everything to everybody, trying to wear all the hats. I mean, you can identify the different pain points throughout the business, but it was just the, the stress of trying to constantly switch hats. Like, you know, going yeah. from marketing to sales and then the, you know, the customer service side of things, and then also putting on my attorney hat. It's like, you know, those don't work very well together. And so trying to find the segmentation to be efficient at all of those. And that's what, you know, to me, that was one of the things that when, when people think of attorneys, all they think about is those attorneys that do law, right? They practice law, yeah. but the realities of it, there's a bigger world in, in, in law practice than just practicing law, right? I mean, just grabbing, just being able to go out there and find clients and, you know, get those clients and move those clients through the process, the administrator, you know, if you were to break your business down into sections of parts that have to have happened. So if you had different departments, I'm, I know what exactly you have, but you know, how much of your practice now is marketing versus admin versus actually law? Uh, that's an interesting breakdown. You know, the, the law happens. We've got multiple attorneys on staff that I supervise their work. So the supervision of the legal department side of things is smaller for me than it was in the past when I was doing it all myself. Uh, most of my time these days is is focused on process improvement, software development, and things to, to make the firm run more smoothly. And then on the marketing side, trying to think of ways we can be more disruptive in the legal space, not just, you know, in our current markets, but, you know, looking beyond for further growth. So that's some of the, the, I guess, some of our more fun conversations we've had is for those of you that don't know me personally or don't know Michael, you know, I met Michael, I guess, about three years ago. I think we met at, at Grayley's, right? I think it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we were at a, a wine club that we belonged to together and I, we met through probably Nate, like we yeah. met everybody <laughs> in the world through Nate, which I've mentioned on this podcast before, uh, maybe the greatest networker in Dallas, probably next to you, but Nate introduced us. And one of the things that I remember most is that you love to think and you love possibilities. And that's one of the things that is probably most fun about some of our conversations is, you know, I think back to probably when you were a young attorney, having opportunities and knowing which opportunity to choose. And the reason I say that is you and I think a lot alike in that we're always thinking of new ideas. What can we do? How can I market better? How can I practice better? How can we make things more efficient? Right. Constantly thinking and constantly seeing opportunities and trying to judge those opportunities as, is this a right opportunity to take? Is this a, you know, is this a red hair? What, what is this? Right. Yeah. And so you and I have had some really fun conversations about trying to know, man, I've got this idea and in this area and I'm, I'm kind of tackling this. I'm not exactly sure where it's going to lead, but I, I feel good about where it's going to go. And there's very few people that I get to have conversations with that think what I call crazy like I do. Yeah. And that's just because it doesn't necessarily have anything directly to do with what I do every day. I still have this idea that I think is a great idea until I've either proven it's not, or someone's proven that it's not. Mm -hmm. And even then sometimes we get a little hard headed about it and decide <laughs> to do it anyway. So tell me a, a little bit about, you know, you're not like most attorneys. 
Correct. And I take pride in that. <laughs> and I'll, 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 I'll say right now, I think that's a good thing, yeah. right? But, uh, but you do, you take pride in that. You take pride in being different. So tell me some of the ways that, that you are different. Tell me some of the ways that you try to be different. I know, because I've, I've known you, but tell the audience a little bit about how you've tried to set yourself apart from others in North Texas, well, I guess all of Texas and several surrounding states, how you've set yourself up to be different. I think first and foremost, I have to say, like, just genuinely caring for people. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And so, you know, with that, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, opportunity laid out before me. And so now I feel a certain obligation to have, you know, gotten to a certain point of success, not just to, you know, to give back to the community, but also to help anybody else that wants to put forth the effort to, to try to get a leg up. So that, that's, that's always been really important to me. This episode is brought to you by Voris, a strategic sales advisor for early stage startups. At Voris, we'll add a startup sales expert to your team without the cost and commitment of hiring full-time. We offer sales and SDR advisory for teams serious about exceeding their goals as well as strategy and process recommendations to help accelerate growth. Let us tell you exactly what to focus on to dramatically improve your results. We help early stage startups hit their revenue goals and you are only one click away from more revenue. Forrest.com. So some of the ways you go about not just practicing law, but how you go about building your business. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as I drive around the city, and we've talked about this before, when it comes to advertising, you spend a lot of money on advertising. And like a lot of a lot of people do, you have to. But yours is different. Yeah. Right? Yours is very, very different. Tell me why. Tell me why it is that you choose to kind of de- take a different path than everyone else. <laughs> it's a good question, I know. Yeah, but, <laughs> and, and, and the reason being is I see it from an outside perspective. I see a difference. Right? And whether you do it intentionally or not, there's a difference. And I think it was you and Jamie and I were talking one night about one of your advertising, but you do billboards. You do quite a few billboards. Yeah. You do TV, a little bit of radio. You do everything, right? But one of the things is just driving around and seeing your methodology of the way you present yourself is very different. And the way it comes across for me and a lot of others too is it's, it's simpler, it's direct to the message, it's a brand, and the brand is very straightforward. And it, it seems that way in your radio ads and your billboards and what you do on social media, all those different things is simplistic, right? It's simple, it's brand, it's who you are, and everyone else is scripting all over the place and pictures and all these crazy little things that just are all over the place. And yours is just very straightforward. Everything you do is intentional. And maybe that's the best way to put it is the way you do your marketing is very intentional. So, and I know that comes from, from talking to people that work for you and around you, that comes from you is you have a very direct way of you, the way you want things done. So if, whether you've ever talked about it or not from, you know, think about why that is, what is it about what you do and how you do it? That's different in that brand. I'd say a lot of that it starts with, you know, our end goal. Like we're not here just to be, you know, a, a mom, pa shop in, in town. You know, we've got, you know, goals to scale nationally and, and go do bigger things than we're doing now. And so with that, to be a true disruptor in the space, we wanted to position ourselves as, you know, the anti-lawyer basically. So yes, we're, we're lawyers, we're providing legal services, but we're not just, I don't know, like your lawyer joke in the beginning, just start off. Like we're not that, you know, lawyer that nobody can get along with or, or, right. 
wants to get along with from the beginning. Right. And so positioning ourselves in, in a more powerful place and more approachable place, we thought um, was critical for what we wanted to do. I like that. That's, that's interesting. So can you remember back when you, when you first had this, you know, how do I do this? When you first decided you wanted to, from a marketing and branding perspective, to be non-lawyerish. So when you think, when people see you or see your advertising or see your marketing, you know, that's what you want them to see is here's a guy who does this, but he's not the typical guy. So can you remember when you, that first came to you, when you first thought, mm, this is what I want to, I want to do it this way. Man, I, I get long story there. I, um, when it was, it was a whole process, you know, starting off when we didn't do radio advertising or anything like that, we did you know, mostly, you know, Google and, uh, referral services, just any business we can get in the door. But the first thing we really did that took off for us for, was radio advertising. And the first year of radio advertising, we were licensing a brand from somebody else. And we were going and do, doing their radio commercials for the first year. And it was barely breaking even. Like we were scraping for that year of trying to get, you know, these bills paid with the businesses coming in the door. As we were about to the point of, of quitting, we're like, hey, this just isn't working. It's like, well, let me go give it one last shot. But if I'm going down, I'm going down, you know, driving. So right. it's going to be, it's going to be, yeah, I'm going to be on the wheel if it's going over. Right? Exactly. So I, I went into the radio commercials myself. And with that, I found uh, a certain irreverence that became my voice in just speaking freely, speaking casually and, and speaking with a sense of community with, with the people we we're talking to. So after a few years of continuing to license the, those other marks, I realized, look, look, I'm pulling all the weight here. Why am I paying for somebody else's brand? Right. right. Um, so I spent a good two years trying to find a brand, just brainstorming ideas, finding something we could find that had uh, the website and a phone number available. Okay. Uh, so we found a website. Which had to be two. super hard. God. <laughs> and expensive. Right. And, and, and so um, go ahead and tell that. I'll come back and ask the question in a minute. Go well, ahead. after two years, you know, we um, were finally able to get a website and took us another two years to finally get the phone number, the 800 number. Um, some wow. old attorney in, in New York had it locked down and didn't want to give it up and finally had to throw a number at him that was insane just to get his attention. And we were able to pick up the phone number. And once we had that in place, we were able to go, you know, launch our own brand. Did that make a difference? It did. Huge difference. Yeah. Huge difference. Yeah. So... For the people out there that are listening and, and maybe they're just starting up or maybe in the process of doing their own branding. So something you said that was super important to you was, is you're getting the right web address and phone numbers. And so basically the way that people see you and reach out to you, um, the difference in, you know, for what we do is most of our buyers, I, you know, our sales cycle is two years, mm -hmm. you know, from the time someone first reaches out or we reach out to them, it's usually two years before we can close that. You're closing days, right? Yeah. So if someone has a need for you, they're looking, you've got days. And so for that outreach, for them to remember who you are has to be super simple. So for a lot of people listening, tell us a little bit about how important that is for getting the right web address. You know, for us, you know, we're accessefm.com. Nobody's going to remember access EFM, but <laughs> you have to, you have to want to do that. Yeah. So, but for you, that's a different story. And so tell the audience a little bit about why it was so important for you to keep it simple and to have simple names and simple web addresses. Well, first and foremost, I mean, the brand awareness thing is critical because, you know, we can advertise one day, but there's only so many people that will have a need in that given day for us. So we've got to make sure that we're top of mind every day. So when that need does arise, that we're the first phone call that they're making, it can make that sale at that point. Beyond that, you know, I think from the beginning, it was critical that we built something that could scale. So if having the clean domain, having the phone number, 
uh, an actual 800 number was important to us. Like 844, 855, none of that was going to work. Right, right. Uh, and I can't emphasize enough. Like if you're going to build something, if you're going to build a brand, build something you can go out and actually scale or do something with, you know, looking at licensing or something else down the road would be, right. would be huge. How far back, how long ago was it? So, by, by the way, you've been in business how long? Uh, 2010. So 11 years. Yeah. So how far in did you figure out this branding thing that you needed to be able to scale? And, and when did you figure that out and start hitting that way? How, how, how many years in? Probably about five years in. Really? Before we started figuring out. Yeah. yeah. So when did you decide that we're going to scale this? I think we can scale this. We're going to scale this. Honestly, it was never a conscious thought. You know, I've got big goals in my brain of things we've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so with that goal in mind, it's just, it's just been a constant parlay. Like there's no stopping <laughs> until we hit right. that big goal. Sure, sure. So go back to when, you know, you started until now. Let's talk about were there rough patches along the way? Were there patches? Where, where were the smooth patches? <laughs> you and I have talked about that. It's, a, it's like every time something hits well, something drags, right? It never takes off smooth like we think it should, right? Exactly. But we also learned from that, which we'll talk about later too. But so tell me about the point where when you first started and being a one man show and finally getting a, you know, an admin, what a year into it or whatever the case was from that point forward, how long did it take before you thought this thing's going to actually work? It was probably, man, two and a half, three years in that point at which I did the radio commercials myself and grabbed it and said, Hey, was that when things started to click? That's when things started to click. And, you know, we, before that point, it was constantly just putting everything back in the business and just breaking even. But once we did that, we started to get enough traction. We had some growth there. And that's when it was like, oh, well, this is great. I remember the day sitting in my office, I was so excited um, that we were finally having the success. And then I realized, shit, now I gotta work harder. Like, <laughs> like, right, right. We got, it was a moving target. Like right. it wasn't enough just to get there. I had to right. keep going to keep it there. Right. We've talked about on on our podcast, a lot about us. And you know, it's, you have this weird, these waves come, you, you, you do all this work and you finally get business in. And now you have to support that business that's coming in. And now you have to hire more people or you have to scale that, what you've been doing. And so it comes with a different set of problems. So we actually have a podcast where we, we actually talk about that, where you almost have to, to grow, you get, you know, you grow and then you almost have to sit while you get everything running smooth and then grow again and then try to, you know, get things smooth again. It's, it's never, it never happens on the same trajectory. Yep. Right. I don't know if it's been that way for you, but for us, it's always been that way is either, you know, we, we're, we've got our admin locked down. Now we're ready for the orders or we've got the orders and oh crap, we have to have the admin or we have to have the back end um, in order for this thing to actually make this business happen so we can get paid. So with some of that for you, do you, have you seen some of those same stair steps as you, as you grow and as you get, bigger and more successful as you scale it. You know, I, I know you've opened up several offices, you know, it's like every time you open an office, it's probably a whole new issue. It's like you, you forget how difficult and how painful <laughs> it was starting an office. Right. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, you say stair stepping. I wish it had been stair stepping. You know, <laughs> there was a, there's a graphic online. I think it says that everyone thinks the road to success is this, you know, straight line up, you know, to like right. the top of a mountain. In reality, it's a squiggly line that goes backwards, forwards and all over the place. And eventually right. you're making progress. Right. And I think that's, that's been the, the goal is just to eke out a little bit more progress than we do, you know, going backwards every single time. But it's definitely been a struggle. It's definitely been, uh, you know, ebbing and flowing the whole time. Yeah. So we, we talk about that too. And it's exactly the same way with us that squiggly lines are really good way to put it. And, and we dealt with this and I don't know if you did, but whenever the COVID pandemic hit yeah. is, you know, 
hospitals went into lockdown. You and I have talked about this a little bit. Hospitals go into lockdown. They're not buying anything. And we have to pivot. And the way we pivot is how can we provide value to our client without getting any money? Yeah. Right. And something that you're not used to doing. You're not, you're used to providing value in order to get money. Mm-hmm. And now we're providing value knowing that we're not going to get money, but we're building relationships. Yeah. So, and, and that's that step back is we knew we're going to probably have a little bit of a revenue hit, but we knew that right now we don't really have a choice. So that's that downward trend that we saw, but we also looked at how can we grow? So do you remember during some of those times when you had to take those steps back and think, gosh, man, either we've got to you know reinvent this or rethink this. What are some of the things when you guys step back that you learned from? What, what were some of the times you look back and went, man, that was a really crappy time, but I'm so glad I went through it. And here's what I learned. Well, I, you bring up an interesting point there. And I want to call that out as well. You, you mentioned like, you know, through COVID, like, hey, let's look at this as an opportunity and like, right. how can we go provide value and help people? And, and a lot of people when confronted with challenges, like get in the dumps about it. Like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do this or that? And, you know, I remember sitting down with my management team at the beginning of COVID. It's like, this is going to be, you know, tragedy for a lot of people um, for our business. If we're to, to survive, let's look at how we can make this the greatest opportunity that's ever been presented to us. Right. And you know, we're still, you know, working on that still, you know, sure. using those plans to try to get forward. But I think first and foremost, just having that mindset yeah. of, of looking, you know, Hey, I got set back, but let's bring out the positive in this. How do we take this and make this an opportunity? You said the key word that we talk about at access points and that's mindset. So, so much of, of what we are and the way we do things comes from our mindset. And that's one of the things I, I've really enjoyed about you is that, you know, even when you're trying to figure things out or something's not going exactly right, you know, your mindset was a lot like mine. That's one of the reasons I think we get along so well is, is we're kind of always on the same track. And that's, you know, this is really difficult. I'm trying to figure this out and I don't have an answer, but I know that struggling through this is going to build a greater answer than it would be the one that comes to the top of the top of the mind. Right? Exactly. And so it, it's digging out, it's digging through, it's, it's those, um, really difficult times or really difficult problems that create greatness. And, you know, I've, I've seen that with, with you and your businesses is, you know, you going through some struggles and trying to figure this out and then boom, it becomes this other idea, which, wow, I can't believe we never thought about that. And, you know, we have a, we have a saying here and when things happen negatively and it's like, good, yeah, you know, good. So we know what's going to come from it. It sucks to be in it mm-hmm. and it sucks to go through it. And we have to eke out revenue or eke out whatever journey, but we know that we're going to grow from it. And so, you know, I, I teach my kids that same thing. And, and now it's funny, they come back to me and say, yeah, dad, it was, I've had this happen, but good. Yeah. Like, wow. So, but it's all about mindset. So tell me about where did you, where'd you learn that mindset? How did you get that mindset? First off, I love that you identified it as mindset. You know, it, one of the things I stay in the office probably 20 times a day that my staff get annoyed with is I tell those, somebody will say something and say, not with that attitude. Yeah. It really upsets me when, when people lead with, well, we're probably going to be able to do this, but it's like, yeah. you already lost. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I love that you identified it as mindset. And I think, um, from my history, a lot of it was, um, my father, my father was a Marine Corps. And so growing up around him, growing up around the other military families, there was always this mindset of, of can do, and like, we're going to figure stuff out one way or another. Right. So Michael's one of those people that is one of the easiest people in the world to talk to. And Michael has this, I don't know if it's your, it's your demeanor or what, but you're always just 
pretty level, right? You're never way up. You're never way down. You're, you seem kind of in the, in the middle. And so you have to come to the office sometime, <laughs> you know, I may take you up on that. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to see uh, throwing Michael, but um, you know, I think so much of, of who you are and based on our conversations came from the way you grew up. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up and, and you've talked about that to me about what an opportunity that was, but also for a lot of people, how you, the moving aspect of it was a nightmare for a lot of kids, but talk a little bit about that for you and how you use that. And you still use that today that what you learned. I think uh, to, to the moving around piece, you know, moving around every couple of years, you know, I was always having to assimilate into a new friend group or, or new social situation one way or another. And, you know, obviously it, it sucked, you know, and you talk about mindset, it was never something I really identified until later in life that I was going through and figuring out how to you know best build relationships with people. And it was a skill set. And again, as much as it sucked going through it that time, it really helped me just to to build better relationships throughout my life. And that's what, you know, that's what I can see in you. And I've seen you in, in an environment where no matter who comes and sits down around you, whether they're young or they're older, um, you just have something about you that people are drawn to. And you have a, a way of conversing with people and you have genuine interest in other people. And Michael's one of these interesting guys that Mike's, Michael's not a big bragging guy, um, could be, but that's not who you are. Yeah. And so you're always super interested in other people. And, and I, that's, I'm drawn to that. And one of the reasons is I get that because that's how you learn about others and that's how you grow. Right. Yeah. And some of my best ideas have been talking to people that from different industries or, you know, different you know, parts of life that I learned something from and went, wow, okay. I never thought of that. Or I never thought of doing things that way, or I never thought this was possible. And sometimes it's, I never thought that people could do that. And that's really cool. And I, I want either that's an aspiration for me, or I need to think different about this. Um, there's so many people I've met in my life that have taught me in a five minute conversations more than a professor did in a semester in school. Yeah. Without a doubt. Right. And so that's, what's intriguing to me. And I think that's one of the things that I like about you is you have that same mindset and that same thought process is I love talking to people and I love in, intriguing people. I love the way that people talk. I like the way that they tell about what they do or their relationships or their childhood or where they grew up and why is that's intriguing to me. I learned so much about people and, and because at the end of the day, you know, you're in the legal business, I'm in the healthcare business, but we're both in the same people business. Exactly. And, you know, people buy from people, people still do business with people that they like. And um, if we ever lose that personal touch, if we ever lose that feeling of I'm here to help, I'm here to add value to your organization, to you personally, whatever the case is, then we become like anyone else and our clients become just a number. And for me, that's when I lose the passion for what I do. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about kind of what your aspirations are. So tell me a little bit about what your dreams are for Law Boss. Well, first, you know, on the legal side of things, trying to scale it into a national brand uh, where we can service people locally, but nationally, you know, with, right. with the brand that we've got. And, right. and then driving efficiencies. You know, the legal industry uh, stat I read a couple of years ago is that 70 something percent of lawyers still use paper files which just like blows my mind. Right. Like how are you delivering service or quality to a client if you're still operating inefficiently? 
And so, you know, leveraging the processes we've got, you know, in technology and trying to deliver more efficiently um, the legal services to people is, is critical to us. We've also got, you know, different software development stuff we're working on, uh, CRMs and stuff like that to, to try to get us there. And hopefully something as well that we could license out at some point. And this is one of the interesting things about you is, you know, you see inefficiencies and you don't just say, wow, we need to fix those. It's like, hmm, what can we do? What could it, and, and you're, and this is one of the things I like about you too, is you say, what, why do we go, why don't we just build that? We can build something better than it's out there. And that's exactly. one of the things I enjoy about you is you look out there and you don't accept just good. It's not good enough, right? You want something that's great. And you know, that's what we do. So you think about what do we do in the healthcare space? You know, we build electronic forms and, and electronic signature systems for hospitals that directly affect patients and how patients interact with the hospital and the hospital's IT system. And man, that's a niche, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about it, that's a niche, but we've got to do that niche really well in order to, but that's just like in, in your profession, you know, your niche is how do we take something that's going to, I'm going to get X amount of revenue from and make my cost as small as I can make it, but still pr providing great service to my client. And sometimes that's in systems. Sometimes that's in operations. But one of the things I enjoy about you is you're like, okay, the systems part Nobody can come out. No, I can't believe nobody has a better system. So I might as well just build it myself. So you've, you've delved into uh, the software business a little bit, right? Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I mean, it's been just like that. I mean, the inefficiencies are driving me nuts and I couldn't, even at that, we tried building externally with uh, third party vendors. It's like to contract for it. And we went through multiple vendors. Like we still weren't able to get the product we wanted out of right. it. It's like, well, we have to do this in house. Right. And we've had a, a dev team now for almost two years taking up about 15% of our payroll with zero return uh, or that of anything we've sold from it. You know, they're right. just helping to make the process smoother and helping right. to make our systems better but all for our goal of, of, you know, getting to a point where we can, you know, drive down costs, we can lower our, our payroll cost, and then, you know, deliver nationally. So I'm seeing a trend here. All right. And, and I don't know if, I'm sure you see it too, but you think about different parts of, of the history of your career of, of when you started your businesses, when things aren't exactly right, or there's something's not working exactly like you want it to, you just grab it and do it yourself. Right. And so you, you and I don't know if you've, you're sure you've noticed that, but you think about the back to radio days when you first started the radio, yeah. it wasn't working. So you just jumped on and said, I'll just do it myself. Yep. Um, I know what I want this message to be. You're not getting it. So I'm just going to do it. Yep. If you've seen Michael's ads, he's in them and it's his message. You think about, you know, I, and just you and I talking about how, you know, going through COVID and some operational things, some headcount things, you had to jump in and say, look, we're just going to rethink it. I'm going to jump in here myself and we're going to rethink it. Yep. Um, and you just talked about, you know, when it comes to CRM and, and coming up with being able to make it a, a smooth process through IT, then fine. I can partner with these different people or what I found is I'll just do it myself. So I guess at the end of the day, man, you just enjoy doing it yourself when it has to be done, right? I wouldn't even say that I enjoy doing it myself. It's like when it has to be done, there's an expression in the military that says uh, help isn't coming. Yeah. And so in those moments when you're in the most dire of needs, it's like right. it's time to figure stuff out and get in there right. yourself and do it. And so I also think it's important as a leader uh, to show your team, like, you know, when times are rough, you know, I'll go in the trenches and, and you know, I'll be right there by your side, you know, right. whatever it is, right. and just because that's what, what has to be done. Yeah. So what is it about your business? And over the last 11 years, just looking back over it, what is it you've enjoyed the most? 
watching people grow, watching my staff grow. Mm. Um, there's people that have been there for, you know, obviously my first employee, my third employee is still there as well. And just watching their growth at that time and watching how they care for this as much as I do. And it's become their baby as much as it is mine. And, and with that as well, you know, taking care of people, you know, our big mission day in and day out is taking care of people. Right. You know, it started with the core value of, um, work hard and do right you know, based off, you know, work hard and do right. And everything else will take care of itself. I like that. And so with that, you know, just, just show up every day and you work hard and do right. I like that. So the adverse that I've looked back, what's, What's been probably the most painful part over the last 11 years? The people. If you had to be, <laughs> right. You're, you're not alone. Yeah. So, so explain a little bit about that. And, and, and we all love the people that work for us, but at, at the end of the day, it's also, you mentioned two or three people in your organization you've had for a long time and they have the same mission you do and have the same feeling yeah. that you do and passion for the business you do. Problem is not everyone does. Correct. And, and that's what I say when I say the people, it's like those people that weren't a fit for us, those people that were there with, you know, ill intentions or, or just didn't have the same, truly have the same core values as us that, you know, cycled out for one reason or another. Right. So along those same lines, let's talk to the audience a little bit about how do you guys go through and find right fit for new employees, for new team members? this is one of those things I really wish I'd figured out sooner. You know, in the beginning it was all gut instincts. It's like, Oh, I'll go through a resume, do an interview and see, you know, what's what it was a point in time about five years ago where we started doing testing and having some sort of objective measurement in that hiring process is absolutely critical. If you pick what someone's favorite color is and like, Hey, the people that work out well seem to like blue, like <laughs> whatever it is, like pick right. something objectively, you can start to track it because as time goes through, you'll start to see it's like, Oh, I saw this number or that number. And I know my better people are up in this number versus you know, the alternative. Right. So uh, on the podcast we use, um, you've heard those of you that listen quite a bit, hers talk about, we use uh, Colby's and Clifton's um, and, but tell, tell the audience a little bit about what, what measuring tools do you guys use? To be honest, I don't even know. <laughs> That's okay. That's fair. <laughs> but you guys do go out there and find testing methods to, Correct. to put people through, to look at who's been successful in our organization at a job, right? And where do we see the biggest clump of those successful people being when they test, right? Exactly. So looking for trends backwards, <laughs> And, and looking at those as they move forward, super important for those that are listening. Doesn't really matter what you use, but pick something and stick with it. Exactly. And, and find those trends because over the, over the time, over a period of time and over, you know, five years, six years, seven years, you're going to start to see who those people are. It's going to become pretty straightforward who those people are. One of the things we talked about on a podcast, just a few, I guess it was last week. Um, hopefully that'll be coming out soon. We, we talked about when people leave your organization and that you don't expect, how do you handle that? How do you pivot? Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things we talked about was when you go to find new people, I don't know how you guys do that, but you know, we, we've been through everything we've gone indeed. We've gone to look at, I mean, I'll, everybody out there. But what's been most successful to us is asking the people who are rock stars in an organization, who do you know? Love that. Right. Love and, that. and the idea behind that is, is if you have great people, they, they don't want to bring anyone into your organization that either a aren't rock stars or B, they don't think might be a great fit. And so the reason why is number one, their reputation is at stake. If they bring somebody that's not good and that that's shows negatively upon them. But second thing is great people love to work around great people mm -hmm. and hard workers 
like to work around other hard workers. And so by doing that, what we've seen is a huge success in the amount of people we brought in over the last two or three years, because we've been able to bring some rock stars in and those people have told us about people. And so it's so strange because, you know, we're working around people that have worked together over the last 10 years, either at other places or here, wherever it might be. We just hired two people, I guess it was about three months ago, that used to work at one of our clients and they both moved. Uh, one of them, their husband, it was a, a lady and her husband had moved out. And I think, I forgot what he had done, but he had to move away. So she had to leave the organization. And another guy who had gone somewhere else and left and went somewhere. So, but they were both customers that worked on our product mm-hmm. inside the hospital. And so they both reached out. In fact, one of them reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm kind of not happy where I am. And, you know, I've, we said, We're, you're still at the hospital? No, I left there, you know, two years ago. And um, so we said, hey, we'd love to talk to you. Absolute rock star. Hired them, rock star. I mean, unbelievable. Took things what usually takes six months for people to figure out and get into within a month. That's rocking the place, right? So when it came time we needed someone else in another area, so who do you know? I said, well, matter of fact, I used to work with this other lady who was actually in charge of your product at this hospital that just moved, and she would be awesome. Same thing. Interviewed her, put her through our testing. Rock star. Like within three weeks, she's already doing things that people have been here a year doing. Jeez. And so it's those kind of people that it gives you a little bit of hope, mm-hmm. right? In that you get people that are just absolute rock stars that are killing it, that have the same passion. What we found is it tends to come from people that we know. Yeah. And so I don't know if you've had that same thing or, or not, or ever seen that in your organization. No, but- one of the great things we did um, was doing a referral bonus, you know, something that seems, you know, straightforward, but we didn't do it till three years ago. It's like, well, let's offer If somebody brings a referral, they hang around for six months, we'll pay out a bonus to them for bringing their friend. And, and that's been great for us as well. Awesome. Very cool. So what advice would you give to Michael Uvalli 11 years ago? He start, he's, he's starting a business, he's starting a law firm and he has great aspirations of what he wants to do. He's seen a need out there in a niche and, um, you run to him in the street and you say, Hey, let me buy you a coffee. So let me, let me let Michael now talk to Michael. Then what would you tell him? Give me two or three things that you'd tell him. First and foremost, cause we're talking about staffing. And one of the things I, I wish I'd figured out sooner that hiring a full-time recruiter, it was something we didn't do until we hit 50 employees. And man, I wish I had done that sooner. Really? Um, yeah. That, that just completely changed the game for us, for our growth goals. Um, we had had an HR person in house that was doing, you know, 15, 20% of their time on recruiting. And it was just a completely different ball game once we you know, had a full-time recruiter. In there. Wow. So, you know, that for sure. Then also probably building our own systems and processes from the beginning and thinking, uh, working backwards, you know, from like, hey, here's how we want it to work. Here's what it's going to need to work when we get to 100 employees or wherever it may be. And starting with that in mind, instead of going through the different iterations, you know, building up to that and trying to let it break and rebuild it every single time. Right. Scrapping something after you've worked with it for five years, when you've known all along that it's not working exactly right, is difficult because you have to go back to ground zero sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what else? What else do you tell young Michael? I wish I'd been more aware of the segmentation that, that was occurring in, in advertising with, uh, with the digital space specifically. You know, so much of traditional legal advertising had been done on television and we thought we were groundbreaking when we were doing radio advertising because no one had ever been able to do that or make it work before or few people had been able to. And so 
going through that and even though the challenges that we've had recently, you know, especially you know, during COVID with fewer people watching broadcast television or listening to radio because they're not in the car anymore, we've had to really try to evolve and get into multi-channels, especially in the digital space to make sure we're staying top of mind with people. So I, I wish we'd been more, I won't say aware of it. We were aware, but we didn't really pay attention as much as we should have been. So along with that, have you had to stay on top of what the latest is like trying to figure out where the trends are, um, where things are going. I mean, you went from Google ads to, you know, whatever. And now, I mean, it's, it, it feels like things are exponential, like things are broadening and there's so many avenues and trying to figure out which one's the best one to go with. And, and then tracking that. And, and you and I've talked about how you track it, but it's kind of interesting because some of it's really hard to track, but trying to track where your advertising dollars go and what's working and what's not. But you tend to be a master at that. I mean, you really do. And that, especially with the budget like you have of advertising, you have to be. And so what advice would you give to the folks listening out there on how to educate themselves on what's the best way, what's the best place to put my money and put my effort and time? It doesn't have to be necessarily what's hot today, but how do they stay on top of that? It's got to be something you could track, you know, first and foremost, I think that's, that's, you know, with the exception of the outdoor advertising we do, which is just a broad brand message, you know, we track everything beyond that so that we can measure return. And even if it's just asking somebody, Hey, how did you hear about us? You know, track that from day one so that you have that information and say, Oh, look, 80% of our customers are coming from this one message and we've only got 10% of our ad budget in that place. Right, like right. maybe we just shift some things around. Right. Um, and, and you mentioned um, before talking about, you know, which one of these is working best in our business. It's, it's, we got to be in all of them. We got to figure out a way to, you know, to be in all of them and be top of mind at all times. Um, but I think the biggest advice I would give is just tracking, tracking, okay. tracking, tracking all the data you can get. What's the most fun part of marketing and advertising right now? That production has gotten so lean that we can do video production or audio production just about anywhere mm -hmm. and a small scale. And so, you know, we've got our in-house production team now. We can go do a TV commercial, you know, this afternoon if we just woke up and decided, hey, we want to go do something. I think it's really exciting to be that nimble that's and, cool. and lean with things. Yeah. I, you know, being able to, to move quickly and being agile, that's what we talk about on the podcast. It's almost being able to pivot quickly is almost the only thing that we have going for us as a, what we call a small organization, mm -hmm. right? Is we get up against the big, the big guys, the multi-billion dollar companies they were up against. They can't move like we do, yep. but to be agile and have an idea today and be able to execute on that tomorrow and have that out in the marketplace in a week. It's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. Without we, doubt. we couldn't do that two, three, four years ago. Exactly. Right. And now we have the tools and, and strangely enough, so many of the people that are coming in, they already know how to do some of these things mm -hmm. and to them it's second nature. So whether that's social media and how to do social media, right. And how that works. And I know I, I'm big picture stuff with that, but you know, down the weeds, I man, I have no idea, but these guys come in and do stuff. And I'm like, how did we put that out? I'm like, yeah, when did we decide that last week? That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Good for us. But, and you guys are the same thing, but Man, I want to tell you, I respect the heck out of you. Likewise, um, but thank you. Both as uh, an entrepreneur, and that's what we're here to talk about today, but also as a person, you're a good guy, and uh, you've always nothing but genuine to me, and I appreciate your friendship. Likewise, man. Hey, thanks for being on, and tell everybody uh, where they can find you. Lawboss.com, L-A-W-B-O-S-S. -S. Awesome. Go check him out. Really good guy. If you want to see how to do marketing right, go look there. He's awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And for our listeners, you know, again, we're always looking for feedback on this podcast. 
hit the subscribe button, give us some critical feedback how we can make this thing better. Go to our website at accessefm.com. Check us out there. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a tweet. Give us a thumbs up. And appreciate you guys listening.